The Courage to Lead, Episode 53. You're listening to the IB4E Coaching Podcast. Brought to you by IB4E Coaching, business coaching for executives, entrepreneurs, and small business professionals. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com. Hey, Coach Harlan here. Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you guys are having a phenomenal week. Um, I'm having a great week, and I'm excited to introduce you to my guest. Uh, please welcome to the show, Dorothy Cole. After a foundational start at Deloitte and building a 20-year career in media, finance, and operations across notable companies, including CBS Sports, Fox Sports, NBC, and HGTV Food Network, Dorothy launched DK East Associates to bring her world-class background to emerging businesses to help them grow to their fullest potential through outsourced CFO, accounting strategy, and HR services. Dorothy has helped clients increase their profitability by as much as 85% year over year and hit seven-figure revenues through innovative processes, structure, and strategy. She has overseen several horizontal industry acquisitions, making her clients major players in their industries. Dorothy understands the importance of balancing things in life. She became an entrepreneur while raising her four teenage sons, including twins, as a single mom part strategist, part basketball coach, part founder, and I would add super mom, superhuman strength. Dorothy Cole, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. <laughs> Man, I was saying before we started, the uh, my mom had, had four boys and I, I, yeah, I don't know if we drove her crazy or if she just kind of got that way naturally and stuff, but I could definitely see that uh, that could be stressful, but you, uh, you survived, eh? I have survived. I have survived. Yeah. Um, they're phenomenal. I, I, there were, when I was younger and you know, when you're like a younger girl or whatever, and you talk about what kind of mom you might be when you grow up, I forgot. And my friends reminded me, I always said, I'm going to have four sons. Really? I, really? Okay, <laughs> great. So at least I succeeded on that. And maybe that gave me, you know, the incentive to succeed elsewhere. <laughs> Good job. Well, I definitely want to talk about uh, your background, your sons, your your basketball, because you were a coach for them, right? In basketball? I was. I Excellent. was. Excellent. I want to talk all about that um, and kind of what else you've got going on. But before we get started, um, I have 10 questions that I like to ask. Listeners will know these are the 10 questions asked on the award-winning show Inside the Actor Studio, where host James Lipton asked these questions of his Hollywood stars. And I figure if these questions are good enough for the Hollywood elite, they're certainly good enough for my guests. So, Dorothy, if you're ready, I've got 10 questions for you. Okay. All right. Question number one, what is your favorite word? Collaboration. I will ask you to elaborate on that later. Um, What is your least favorite word? Apathy. What turns you on? Collaboration without apathy. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think just being in an environment or community that is supportive and, and I, I, I do use that word collaborative, but, you know, collaboration again, in, in the form of collaborative, I like being in that kind of environment. And when I'm in that, I feel like I can flourish. Excellent. What turns you off? Negativity. Um, it, uh, I'll go back to the apathy again, because I feel like ne- apathy is even worse because it's yeah. like, just commit to one thing, one way or the other. Yes. Don't be agnostic about your feelings. Exactly. Um, and 
people getting in my way for no other reason than just to get in my way. <laughs> I know exactly what that feels like. Um, okay, what sound or noise do you love? My kids laughing. And what sound or noise do you hate? My dog barking. <laughs> <laughs> Dorothy, what is your favorite curse word? Oh, man, am I allowed to say it? Um, you can uh, allude to it. You can it rhymes with truck. Okay, perfect. That seems to be popular. <laughs> what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Well, that's an interesting one because um, my dad worked for NBC for almost 40 years and I interned with them and I was set on, I want to be an on-air sports reporter, reporter, anchor, whatever. And that was my like goal. And then he told me when I was about 15 that I was not glamorous enough to be on TV. So I should pick something else. And that's when I headed towards like, you know, not necessarily accounting. I was going to be a music. I was a music major when I started, but um, it wasn't until my dad was 82 that he said, I said that. Like, yeah. And he's like, you didn't listen to anything else I ever told you. Why would yeah, you why listen that? to that? <laughs> That's funny. Um, what profession would you not like to do? This is going to sound awful, but I, I have many friends who are teachers and elementary school teachers, and I could not, would not want to do that job. Absolutely. All right. Finally, Dorothy, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? I handed you a lot and you did it. <laughs> Welcome. Did it. You did it. Absolutely. All right, uh, Dorothy, we're going to come back. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, how you got started, uh, talk about DK East Associates and kind of where you're going from here. All right. So we'll talk right. about that right after this message. So stick with us. Imagine having a trusted group of CEOs at your disposal. Imagine having your very own peer advisory team who could work you through the problems and questions in your business before you had to make those difficult decisions. Imagine you had a group of advisors that had your back and met for the sole purpose of making you successful in your business. What would you be able to accomplish then? Well, you don't have to imagine anymore. You can have that and more when you join my Business Success Mastermind Group. Join my Business Success Mastermind Group today. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com forward slash mastermind. And we're back. Dorothy, thanks a lot for agreeing to be on the podcast. Um, definitely want to get into the background and stuff like that. You gave me some good answers on our introductory questions and stuff. But tell me how you got started. You, uh, you didn't wake up one morning and decide you wanted to be an accountant? You had other plans, huh? I did not wake up one morning and decide to be an accountant. Um, as I said earlier, I had, you know, dreams of being an on-air personality. Um, and when that wasn't, I don't know how, you know, I got talked out of that. I was actually a music major when I started college. Okay. I played the piano since I was three. I played the flute, I oboe, clarinet, was in chorus and all that. And I started and I just didn't really like the other students really. I, I was, I realized even at that point that these are people I'd be spending the vast majority of my time with and I didn't want to. So I told my dad, I was, or my, both my parents, but I remember specifically with my dad, I don't want to do this. And he said, fine, pick something, but it can't be undecided. 
So the wise 18 year old, 19 year old that I was, I opened up the course catalog and accounting was the first thing listed. And I said, fine, accounting. And he said, fine, fine, fine. And then I was in a, so I, uh, and when I was interviewing at the end of my senior year or the beginning of my senior year, actually, is when the accountants, accounting majors interview and the accounting firms are offering so much more money at that point in time than anybody else was. And I was like, okay, I'll do it. But at that point, the big eight, now they're big four, the big right. eight, you had to have your CPA license within your first two years or you were gone. I think now they don't do that anymore. They have like an alternate path or something. But, um, you know, you're with like 60 other brand new accounting associates mm -hmm. and you kind of get swept along in this whole thing of, okay, I'll sit for the CPA exam. And then I passed it. I'm like, shoot. <laughs> Now I'm an accountant. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. Now, now what do I do? Um, and then you work for Deloitte. Yes. In New York. Yeah. Yeah. How was your time great at firm. Deloitte? Yeah. It was great. It was great. It, I had such great exposure to clients, to people. Um, I really found myself as a like that was when I could first separate myself from, you know, family and other older friends and really kind of start to find me. Yeah. So it was, I, I was on the road all the time and, you know, it was exhausting, but I think it was a great experience and gave me a great background for whatever I was going to do for the rest exactly. of my life. Exactly. As a yeah, 20, almost 30 year consultant, traveling different clients and everything like that, you get to know, I mean, you may do the same thing over and over, but each client is a little different, right? And so you learn their um, idiosyncrasies or whatever it is. And uh, yeah. It's all the, the interpersonal, I think, skills that you pick up doing Absolutely. That. Absolutely. And then CBS Sports. You got to sports, but you didn't get to be your on-air person, right? No, no. I was with the Olympic unit. And that was probably, out of all the jobs that I've had, the best one. And I'm sorry to everybody else. Um, <laughs> we had a phenomenal VP in charge of that unit. It was small. Um, as far as the, the unit that was, that we had before it was like the big production, but like the core people, mm -hmm. there was a lot of support. There was a lot of collaboration. Um, and I was like, a I reported to the business manager. So I was like an assistant business manager and I also helped out the production manager. So I got like a taste of more of the production side of life and not just the numbers. Yeah. And it was, and of course it was, you know, on site. I was in Norway. I came in right after the Lillehammer, I mean, the uh, Alberville games, okay. but I was on site in Lillehammer, Norway for almost three months. Wow. Very yeah. cool. And then, yeah, just looking at your, your backgrounds, Fox sports and the things you, you did with, uh, what was it? The home network? HGTV. HGTV yeah. yeah. Well, and actually Fox is where I finally got to like everybody that I knew at CBS, we all went to Fox because CBS, you know, lost NFL, mm -hmm. they lost MLB, they, you know, everything was, um, we, so I was going to say what we used to call them, but I won't. Um, <laughs> so, but when I went out to Los Angeles with all, with everybody, they, my former coworkers were like, well, do you still want to do accounting? And I was like, do I have a choice? Yeah, you have a choice. You want to go into production? Sure. So I took like a way back, I mean, I like a way big cut and pay and all that mm -hmm. kind of stuff, but I got into production and operations and worked in that side of it for, you know, five or six years. And um, that was so much fun. Plus it gave me, like I knew at the end of the day, I was going to get back into accounting, but to have that kind of full cycle view of yeah. the business. I mean, most 
accountants, CFOs, whatever you want to call them, are just the finance and accounting their whole mm -hmm. career, right? They don't completely understand what does it mean when I make this adjustment to this line item? How is that going to roll out to what it's going to look like to the end user or the production team that has to now make this cut somewhere? So it gave me a, a, a really healthy view of what decisions, how decisions were going to affect things down the road. That's great. Yeah. Actually having some hands-on in the industry, right. And giving you a little bit of insight, how that works. Exactly. That is great. And uh, the thing I like too, is you, you were willing to take that cut in pay to get a new path or to gain some new knowledge. You know, that's scary for a lot of people. It's like, no, 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 this is where I'm headed. I'm just walking down this hall, walking, walking, walking. It's like, no, stop, look around, see something else. Right. I have always been a, eh, let's give it a try. You can always fix it down the road. Exactly. That, I, I approached almost everything in life like that. Sometimes exactly. it's worked out really great. Sometimes <laughs> it has not. <laughs> I, I get that. Absolutely. But I think that that's where the consulting comes in. You know, there's something else down the road. You know, if this doesn't work, there's, there's something else coming. So right, that's awesome. Right. So when did you decide to open your own, um, your own group, DK East Associates? I was, I actually have been working remotely since 2013. I, my last full-time CFO job was for a company that was remote. So I've been doing this remote thing for a long time. Um, they were downsizing. And they eliminated the CFO position. <laughs> and so I found myself, uh, let's see, I was about two years separated, about to be fully divorced, single mom, no financial support, and panicked. And I was like, okay, I can't go back to working in, a, in like an office. Because the job that I had before that, I worked in DC. I left at seven o'clock in the morning. I got home at seven or eight o'clock at night. You can't do that as a single mom. Yeah. yeah. Doesn't matter how many kids you have, you can't do that as a single mom. And so I just racked my brain for how am I going to do this? And I applied to a few things on Upwork, like just, you know, part time, freelance, whatever. And uh, quite honestly, I started my first client work was as a bookkeeper. Wow. I was, you know, yeah, I had to do something, right? And so my sure. first my first client was a bookkeeper, and my second one right after that was um, a controller position, and then and those two kept me going for quite a while, honestly. Probably the first eighteen months, two years was just those two clients, yeah. and um, we just kind of you know tightened our belts around here, and it was like, okay, we're not just going to roll out and do everything we want, and we're gonna have to plan it, and you know, I, that's what I actually taught my kids about. This is how much I have coming in. I was really transparent about it. You know, I grew up in, a, in, a, in an age when my, I had no idea what my parents made. I had no idea what they had in the bank. They wouldn't share. That was no, no, no. You don't ask how old someone is or how much they made. Right. But I was like, look, we're going to, we're in a partnership here, the right. five of us, you know? So this is what I have coming in every month. And these are the expenses that I have to make. And this is what I have left over. Yep. And they were like, whoa. Yeah. Yeah, well, it definitely helps. It. I, I remember one one year, my daughter was living with us at the time, and uh, we were writing a check for taxes. And my daughter looked at the check. She goes, "That's more than I make in a year." It's like, well, this is life, you know. And uh, yeah, I think it does help because then they do become partnership. Well, maybe I don't need that. Maybe I can wait a little bit, you know. Right. Right. So very cool. Um, so tell me about your clients. Who do you work for? Who's your your ideal client? I found that I started working with creative agencies and they were not 
dissimilar to the production life. You know, it was kind of the same concepts, a little bit different, but the same concepts and the same accounting structure sort of. So I, I have creative agencies, I have social impact firms, um, I have podcast production companies, and um, I have a couple of sports companies, sports leagues companies right now too, okay. which is kind of fun. Nice. But yeah, and, and primarily women owned. And that was also by accident, but it has worked out. I have one male client left and he knows who he is if he's listening to this. <laughs> um, and um, it, it just, it having come from a very, you know, the hashtag me too environment in entertainment mm -hmm. um, and the, that you would have thought that that would have turned me off to working with a lot of men, but it was like, I was so like accustomed to that kind of, environment um i was kind of trained that way and the women that were in entertainment with me and even accounting there was so little room for women at the top that there was no hey we'll all get there it was like no hey i'm going to and you're not and yeah. so i thought well that's how all women are yeah. and then when i got into working with founders and i was like oh this is where the women that are really cool actually went to yeah, <laughs> so yeah. i work with a lot of women that were in a corporate environment and left to start their own thing yeah and so we come from the same mindset and i think that really works that's awesome so it wasn't an intentional you didn't set out to work with just women it just kind of evolved yeah, it just happened yeah it evolved totally awesome. evolved to that yeah very cool um are there are there more women founders than there are men do you think it, more men than or is it is it starting to get to be about even now? Um, I think, well, there, there was an interesting st statistic I saw the other day that was, even though it is getting more even, only 2.6% of funding, like VC funding and that type of stuff, goes to women-owned businesses. Really? Um, yeah, 2.6%. Hmm. Why, why is that? Is they're not asking for it, not seeking that type of funding, or what is it? That might be part of it. I think also the VC, you know, kind of, you know, VC firms and all are generally men and they probably generally find, you know, more relationships with men than they do with women. And I think women are also, what I have found with them is they, we think we have to do it all. I mean, having a, having a woman founder realize that she has to outsource is like a huge hurdle. Because we yeah. think like, like you do when you're a mom, right? I've got to work. I've got to watch the kids. I've got to do the housework. You like take it all on, even though nobody probably asked you to, but you just right. feel like you do to be that super mom kind of thing or the superwoman. So I think maybe, and I don't know for sure, but I think maybe a lot of women founders think I've got to establish this myself with no help in order to be taken seriously. Yeah. And then do you work with them to help them over that hurdle? I do. Nice. I do. I do. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Letting go is not easy. I mean, for men either, you know, it's like, this is my baby. I've created this from scratch. This is mine. I, I, I don't trust somebody to do it as well as I do, or, right. you know, I don't have the, the team that's, that's hard for everybody to do it. What do you, what do you see most out there? What is it their reason for wanting to hold back? They're afraid. I think, I think that some of them are afraid of letting others see what the inside of their business looks like, especially if it's not like super successful, you know, and I think, you know, they get to a point of struggling because they haven't sought out experts to help them. I think 
many have had an expert or two and it's gone south because they didn't know they didn't know what that relationship was supposed to look like. And so they didn't manage it properly and they got taken advantage of. And so now they're like, nope, never again. Not going to do that. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, I guess that's yeah. Those are the two. And you talked about sharing the finances with your sons because that kind of helps. We're all in this together. Um, I see a lot of businesses that don't want to share the finances with their employees either. They want to keep their employees from it. It's almost like that same relationship. It's like, no, no, no. We'll take care of it from here. You just do, you know, what you're asked. But I think opening it up and, and kind of sharing with the employees, here's where we are, where we want to be and how we want to get there and what it's going to take. I think that gets everybody on the same page. Yeah. Have you ever read the book, Great Game of Giz- Business by yes. Jack Stack? Yes, yes. Right. That is one of my favorite books to refer Good. people to. Um, I actually went to some of the training out in uh, Springfield, Missouri is where they're yeah, at. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, and it was because it, I had the... the the last company that I worked for that they embraced that, that ideology. And it was, it's, I think it's really important because especially getting everybody on the same page from like, you know, the receptionist to the accounting person to the sales. Cause often, especially like with the accounting and sales specifically, you've got payroll writing these checks to these salespeople for commissions and stuff. And they're like, what the heck, you know, we're back here doing our part. Why don't we get recognized? So I think it's nice to have that, that mutual goal at the end of the day. And like, we all have to make this work. And it also helps employees realize, oh, so we make, you know, $5 million a year, but we spend, you know, Mm -hmm. 4.5 million or something like that, you know, and (laughs) they realize that it's not all, it's just like, just like their own personal finances. It looks like they get a big paycheck, but at the end of the day, you know, helps put that together in their head. Absolutely. Yeah. I was with the, um, working with a client and one of his employees said something to him, well, you made a million dollars last year. What are you worrying about? He goes, no, no, no. The business made a million, you know, here's how it broke down. And once he laid it out for him, the guy said, wow, I I had no idea. So I think you're right. Employees don't understand, you know, all the costs that go into this and all the overhead that goes into it and stuff. We're making a fraction of that. Part of that goes to you and what's left over either gets reinvested or, you know, comes to me. So I, I think opening up the books and, and sharing that transparency, I think is important. For businesses. I agree. That's awesome. All right. Basketball. You were a basketball coach coaching your, I was, your actually sons? Briefly, yeah. but um, yeah, my sons have there, they did yeah, soccer, of course. Um, and then in high school, once we got to high school years, it was basketball and lacrosse. I don't play lacrosse. I love lacrosse, but um, yeah, I, I'm not doing that, but um, the basketball is fun. Actually. I, it was, it's, it was just club. It was just like local, you know, rec, rec basketball, I guess. And the boys were, they were 15 to 17 years old and they were just like a lot of fun. Like I, I have found, I've, I've not found, I've loved watching my son's friends, especially as they were like these young, like second grade, third grade, and they wouldn't talk to you and they would all be all shy and stuff. And as they got older and they would come in and start like nice, like mature conversations and stuff. And so when I did this basketball coaching, I was like, man, these kids are towering over me. They're never going to listen to me. And they were so nice. And they would listen and they'd be like, you know, Miss Dorothy, Miss Dorothy, you know, where do you want me to go next or whatever? Um, it was, it was a lot of fun. We nice. finished like at, you know, five and five or something like that. So it wasn't embarrassing. It wasn't fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Have they gone on playing basketball? Um, no, well, my, 
two are um, uh, freshmen in college right now and they did not continue. Um, one of mine, the other, the next one down stopped this year, COVID. Yeah. And then um, my last one switched over to lacrosse. Okay. Yeah. Lacrosse is big in, in the Northeast, right? Yeah, we're in Maryland and it is huge, huge. here. Huge, <laughs> huge. That's awesome. All right. So the podcast is called The Courage to Lead. So we knew we'd get around to this eventually. I want to talk to you about where you found the courage to, to go out on your own. Um, you've had some great jobs, works for some great companies. A lot of people would have been comfortable just staying in kind of the, the nine to five. You know, you work for somebody else. They take all the um, all the stress. They make all the decisions. You know, they gather the clients and, and everything like that. That's a comfort zone that a lot of people stay in. But some of the rest of us kind of say, no, no, no. I want to do this on my own. I want to find a way to do this on my own. Um, how was that decision for you? Was that a difficult decision or was it just after you come, was it a culmination of just, you know, I've, I've kind of done this. Um, so now I want to go out and do it on my own. Where'd that come I from? Think, I think it was, you know, like I said, the last job that I had, I, it was, I was downsized out and I, so there was no option. It wasn't like I left it some, you know, cush, cush job to be like, Oh no, I can do this on my own, which probably would have made a much more difficult decision. But I think it was just a necessity that, you know, the first couple of jobs that I, you know, freelance jobs that I got were just to, you know, literally pay the bills. And as I continued to do those kind of jobs, I thought, you know, wait, this is actually working. And I couldn't imagine myself in a position where I could be like fired from my only source of income again. Yeah. And I couldn't put myself in that position. You know, I mean, I think it's like, you know, necessity is the mother of invention, right? I had to find a place where I could control what my financial future was looking like, especially because I couldn't control like my marriage you know, and, and, you know, my marital status and what was going on there. So I really felt like, okay, this part I can, I can put up some small guardrails for like what I know I need to make and just fill it in as best I can. Yeah. And, you know, I, I have found, and I don't know, from, from my generation too, and working you know, I was the personal journey part has really helped me. You have clients gain trust in me. And it's interesting because, you know, you go through your career where you're not even supposed to really admit you have a life outside of work, right? Yeah. And yeah. now being freelance and having my own consulting business, like it is perfectly okay for me to say, hey, look, you know what? I can't take that meeting at four because my son has a lacrosse game. You know, it's not like you don't have time, you know, you don't have vacation time for that or whatever. It's like, it's my business and, you know, I need to take this time for that. And yeah. so I think just having that mindset or at least that, that idea in my head that I had that ability yeah. helped also with the courage part. Absolutely. So there wasn't a time where you said, I really need to go back and find a nine to five. There has not, there yeah. has not, but getting back to that whole, like, you know, just wing it and, you know, not having to, I need this, this, and this, I've always been a, I'll just wing it and see what happens. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, sometimes it's not worked out very well, but um, I think giving myself the freedom to think like that has been huge in yeah. my success. Awesome. So where do you think that courage came from? Okay, Barbara Walters, you're going to make me cry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, 
I would have to say, but I lost both my parents in the last two years. Mm. And, um, but I would have to say from them, um, and especially from my mom, my mom, she, she, she's like, you know, half Hispanic and she grew up in 1930s and 40s, New York City, where you could oh. not admit that ever, right? Yeah. Um, my grandfather spoke fluent Spanish. We couldn't understand a word he said. My mom understood him, but my mom never would speak Spanish. Huh. And she just, she kind of like reinvented herself to be what she wanted to be. She got married. My parents got married at 18. They left New York. They moved down to Virginia and they just got to be whoever they wanted to be. I think at that point, and my mom has always, was always the most strong, emotionally strong person, I think, because she had been through a lot and she was like, nope, this is, this is where I want myself to be. This is where I want my life to be. And, and just like, went forward with that. And so I think maybe there's some kind of DNA part of that that came yeah. down to me. <laughs> Good. And I, I assume you're passing that along to your sons. Have you seen them show courage? Um, you know, I, I, I don't know if I would call it courage as much as just, I'm super impressed with them all the time. Like my twins, I said, are, are 19, they're freshmen. My one son, the old, the technically older one, um, <laughs> he is working a full-time job, going to school full-time, taking like summer classes and all that. He's finishing up his associate's degree this summer. And he's only like, he just finished his freshman year because he took wow. stuff in high school and took stuff over the summer and all that and working full-time. Um, his brother um, went through a very, very, very um, depressed state for a little while there, but somehow found the courage to come out of that and has been extremely successful in college as well. And um, my third one is just a wild child and he's just born <laughs> courageous. So I don't know, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then the last one, I think, you know, there's something to be, I don't know where you fall in your four, but I'm the youngest of four. And I think just the courage to be like, okay, I'm not doing what everybody else is doing <laughs> is huge. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I'm number two. I watched my brother make all the mistakes and I tried to <laughs> avoid those. Right. So, yeah. Um, so you've worked for some great companies. You probably work for some great leaders. Um, talk about one of the, one of the leaders you remember working for and what, what they showed you, what you learned from them. Is there somebody that sticks out? Yeah, you know, um, Mark Harrington, who has since passed, but he um, was in charge of the CBS Olympic unit. And he was just phenomenal in that everyone felt like they had a voice. Everyone felt, even from like the, the lowest, you know, production assistant, broadcast associate, you know, whatever, um, they felt like they had something to contribute and he would listen. He wouldn't just like, you wouldn't go in his office and he would, you know, be typing away on his computer going, uh-huh, uh-huh. He would turn away from whatever he was doing and give you a hundred percent of his focus. Nice. And you knew he did because he would act on the things that you said, you know, and he just, I think made all of us feel like we could conquer the world, you know, and taking a bunch of 20 somethings and throwing them in a foreign country for several months and asking them to produce something that a hundred million viewers are going to be watching is a huge ask. Right. Yeah, and so yeah. I think he, it was very, very smart of him to make us all feel like I got this. Yeah, I got this. Um, I, 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 I did not, I have not found that. And really I found close, I found, you know, other leaders who were, you know, fun and, and 
I learned a lot, but not quite in that same package. Yeah. Yeah. I think everybody's got that one that you kind of go, wow, I wish this guy was more like this guy was, right? Right. Right. Yeah. I've had those two. Um, so there's different types of courage that we talk about and stuff. When, when we talk courage, a lot of people think immediately about physical courage, right? Putting yourself in, in harm's way to accomplish something or, or save somebody, whatever it happens to be. Um, but there are other types of courage that are a little more subtle. And some people argue that they're really not courageous. I think they are. Um, intellectual courage, the courage to uh, be open-minded, continuously learning, right? The knowledge you have is not the end all be all. There may be better information out there. And to be able to set aside the, this is a way I've always done it to make room for something new that comes in. Um, discipline, courage, having a plan, sticking to your plan, even though there's distractions around or um, maybe you, you stumble or fail to continue with your plan, right? To, to accomplish the goals, moral courage, doing what's right. The social courage to say what needs to be said, even though it may be unpopular. Um, empathetic courage. There's a lot of different things out there. Is there a type of courage you think that comes easier for you or a type of courage you find easier? I think, and I, I wouldn't say it was natural born. I think I have developed the more intellectual courage. And I say that that way because when I was at Deloitte, actually, which is way obviously first in my career. So it was great that it was then. As an auditor, you go into a business and especially as a first few years auditor, and you're asking someone to explain like how they do things and all that kind of thing. And, and there was a subtle, I remember like in my second or third year, there was a subtle switch where I realized I can get a lot more from people if I don't go in assuming that I know best, you know? And so it was, you know, here, help me understand or help me, you know, and then it makes, it gives you an opportunity to see things in different, from different angles. And I just kind of let that, you know, bubble over the course of my life where it's like, okay, this is what I think, but huh, that's an interesting idea. And letting that kind of settle in my head. And I, I don't agree with everything everybody says, sure. but I have found that I am a little more accepting of different points of view, generally speaking, and different ways to do things. And I think one of the things that I like so much about working with millennials and, you know, I'm a Gen Xer, but, you know, mm -hmm. late Gen Xers or early millennials that, you know, they definitely, even Gen Y and stuff, they have such a different way of looking at things. Yeah. And if you just allow it for a yep. moment, it's, a, it's, it's not always at odds with what you think. You exactly. know, and and I I love that being able to just step back and and looking at things like that. Yeah, yeah. I was I was thinking that that same thing that um, working as a consultant, you work with a lot of younger folks, you know, or mm -hmm. you may be young going into a senior person and having to ask them questions. A lot of time they look at you like, well, you probably wouldn't understand if I tried to explain it to you. You know, so sometimes that's difficult. But I find myself, like you said, just opening up to to some of these younger kids and saying, hey explain that to me. What, what, what does this mean to you? Or how can I, you know, how can I do this better? Cause they do have a different way of looking at everything. I think that's they refreshing. Do. Yeah. It is refreshing. You know, even the whole, you know, oh, millennials, they, they don't want to work hard and all that. And I'm thinking, you know, back, back in the nineties when I was working like 80, 90, hundred hours a week and then, you know, all this crazy stuff and everything was about material items and what kind of car did you have a BMW at the right time and all that. And I'm like, <laughs> That's just, and, and their, their approach of, 
no, my life is supposed to be this like holistic thing, not just work and not just home. And it's like, oh, in fact, I was, I, I um, moderated a panel on a, with, on a women's group not that long ago. And one of the women, um, definitely a millennial, and she, we were talking about work-life balance at one point. And she called it, no, it's not work-life balance. It's work-life harmony. Because her, the way, you know, her thing is this, this is my whole life. My kids are part of it. My work is part of it. And she didn't see like a, like a balancing thing, like a, you know, weighted that I have to yeah. do one or the other and they have to be equal. It's like, no, it's all one thing. And I was like, wow, I love that. That's awesome. Yeah. So you're not working for a, a balance of family and work and sleep, right? It's just, it's all in harmony. As long as it's working, it's working. Correct. Yeah. I like that. That's yeah. nice. Very cool. Um, your podcast, tell me about your podcast. My podcast is called, actually I have one in pre-production, which is funny, but um, <laughs> the one that's actually out there is called Thriving in the Chaos with Dorothy Kolb. Okay. And it, I only have four episodes out there, right? it's brand new, but it's basically um, kind of a combo of, you know, here's business tips and, and things like that. But I work my personal journey into it as well. Okay. So that there's like a, you know, personal side of not just, I'm not just shooting, you know, this is why you need this. And this is why you need that. It's more, and here's like, you know, my side of it too. So. Awesome. And that's available out on iTunes and everything. Everywhere so, you get podcasts perfect. and such right now. And it, and it's funny because I, I remember thinking, okay, if I were listening to just really quick business tips, do I want it like fast? So they're all like 10 minutes right now. Nice. It's not interview. It's just me talking for 10 minutes. People and just listen and be out of there. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. I, I know a lot of companies that are starting to go to podcasts. I, my, my background, my wife and I were both um, consultants, organizational change. So working with companies that were undergoing some major change, a merger acquisition, uh, process reengineering, restructuring, something like that, we would help the executive team um, to communicate the change, understand the change, communicate, lead their people through the change. And part of that was putting out newsletters, putting out blog posts and things like that on the internet. A lot of companies are going towards podcasts now because you can step in real quick, interview the CEO for five minutes, have them say what they need to say, and then put it out on the uh, the internet or if, via email, a link. And people get that, that podcast feel because I think more people will listen to the podcast than they will actually go and read, you know, a, a blog or a white paper or something like that. Yeah. There's this woman, Molly Beck. I don't know if you know her, she's yeah. messy FM and her whole her not her whole, but her business is setting up po podcast infrastructure for businesses like that. Nice. And it's pretty interesting. I was like, Oh, that's a fascinating way to go with it. You know, Yeah. but it's true. I mean, I think, and especially the younger, you know, they, since they're, they've been like glued to phones and screens and stuff, it's, you know, they're more used to getting things that are visual and audio and stuff that rather than, you know, reading a memo. Absolutely. <laughs> I don't even like reading memos. Nobody so, likes reading memos. Nobody likes reading memos. So what's next for you? You've had a, a phenomenal career and you've got DK East Associates going now. What's next? What are you, what are you looking to do? Well, I've got this other um, this other podcast in pre-production right now, which is a lot more, a little more fun one. It's called, Oh shit. What now? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's with another mom who has five sons. Wow. Um, so what are you competing? Us, <laughs> 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 so between wow. us, you know, we've got a little bit of advice to give. Um, and so that, that has started my kind of DK East media arm of my company. Um, and I'd love to get like, you know, other kind of 
maybe business or mompreneur, hate that word, but, you know, <laughs> kind of podcasts under that, under that at some point. Um, and I just, I love continuing with the, the consulting elsewhere CFO stuff yeah. that I'm doing. It's, it's really a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to work with companies and, you know, I'm, sometimes I make myself obsolete because I'll get them to a point mm. where they're now, you know, can be acquired or can bring somebody on full time or whatever, but it's still really fun to get them to that point. Absolutely. And I think as a, as a consultant, as a, as a coach, that's my job is to try to work myself out of a job. You know, I've, right. I've worked for companies that their big thing is, you know, spread, um, you know, the your, your footprint, get out there, you know, get more of the consultants in or whatever and stuff to kind of build that. I'm the opposite is if I, I want to help you through whatever you're doing, I want to help you get on a path where you kind of know what you're doing and stuff and then see them kind of, you know, leave the nest and fly. That's kind of right. the way yeah. that I like to do things. Excellent. All right. Um, are you looking for any special type of client right now? Is there a special type of client you're looking for or an introduction into a company maybe you've been wanting to get into? Not an introduction to a company. I, I mean, my ideal client is, you know, like I said, creative agency, social impact, um, kind of media production. Um, and it, when they're at a point, I like to say when they've got a CPA that does their taxes and they've got a bookkeeper that does their bookkeeping, but they don't have that strategist to get them, yeah. you know, they're not getting a, th that help from either side of those two sides. And yeah. they're looking for someone to help them grow and scale and all that kind of thing. Um, that's, that's the best fit for me because I don't do taxes. Yeah. I don't want to do taxes. <laughs> I don't like doing bookkeeping. So, um, you know, to have that, that, and, and it's, and it's normally, I, you know, normally when they get to probably, you know, a million and above in gross revenues is when mm -hmm. they realize, Oh, now oh. we're going to need somebody to help us get to the next step. Yeah, the strategy. Yeah, they don't have because they're not getting that from their bookkeeper, their CPA. The CPA is interested in the taxes and everything like that. The bookkeeper makes sure everything's aligned and, and working. And often, they, they, often they'll ask the bookkeeper to step into that role and they'll yeah. try because they're like, ooh, this is cool. I can you know try this kind of new skill. And then it invariably backfires. Yeah. Absolutely. So more fractional CFO type stuff? Yes. Is that what it is? Yep. Yep. Nice. Very cool. Love that. All right. So people want to get in touch with you. How can they find you online? What's your, your website? BKEAST, BKEAST.com is okay. my website. Very cool. And I am on uh, LinkedIn at DKEAST Associates. Okay. I'm on Instagram at DKEAST Associates. <laughs> okay. And your podcasts. You've got those. I will put all those links um, in the show notes. So people will have the ability to reach out to you and, uh, Dorothy, thank you so much. This has been oh, fun. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks it's been for great. Being on the I podcast. appreciate it. Yeah. All right. And as soon as your, uh, other podcast gets rolling and stuff like that, we'll have you back on. I think that's going to be great. Oh, oh yeah. S That'll be a fun one. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. All right. Uh, listeners, hope you guys enjoy this podcast. If you did make sure you share this episode with your family, friends, and colleagues and stay tuned because there's always more coming. That's it for me, Coach Harlan, saying so long for now. 